together so far. You know, it's always a it's always a great privilege for me to stand before you and able to open up God's word and preach it. You know, there's sometimes that uh, I have passages that are assigned to me where it feels like I have a, a tangled ball of yarn in my heart because of how important the message is for the church. And then all last week I had to figure out how to communicate it, how to untangle this ball of yarn in my heart. And today is one of those days. And so I'm looking forward to doing such that by preaching God's word to you, by opening up God's word and seeing what he has to say to you today. Now this message this morning, without question, applies to every single one of you. And it applies to every single one of you in very significant and deep and intense ways. And today, we come to the passage which is known as the golden rule. The golden rule, Matthew 7, verse 12. And while it seems so simple on the surface, this verse is filled with such extensive and profound and practical truth for each one of us here this morning. But before we begin, I'd like to... Uh, just like good Bible study students as that we are, we have to always keep in mind the broad context when you approach a passage, and it's uh, no less true than here in the Sermon on the Mount. We have to figure out what has Jesus been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And as if you've been with us for any length of time, we see and we know the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is righteousness. Righteousness. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. See, it's all about righteousness. And then everything he says in this passage should be interpreted in the light of that primary theme and that primary aim of righteousness. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking about the righteous character that flows from a true repentant faith. He's outlining and he's giving a roadmap to what spiritual life looks like for the person who has truly repented of their sins and put their faith into Christ Jesus as Lord. And the thing that Jesus says in this sermon on the mountain and the thing that he'll be teaching throughout the gospels and what is taught throughout every New Testament book after this is that true personal righteousness inevitably flows from true salvation. Let me say that again. True personal righteousness flows from true salvation. The two are linked together. There's no such thing as being a genuinely uh, genuinely coming to Christ and then living in a totally unchanged way. It would be impossible for that to happen. It would be like walking into a room and turning on a working light switch and having it still be dark in the room. It doesn't work that way. It could never work that way. It would be like you walking on the 14 freeway and getting hit by a Big Mac truck and then getting up like nothing happened. It doesn't work. Salvation is a work of God in which he gives new life to someone who's been dead in their trespasses and sin. We've seen that. We studied that last year. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is a work of God. And so when God does his work, things happen. It's life-changing. And that's, that's, a, that's true of every heart here this morning that God has worked in to bring to true salvation in Christ because the new life comes from God. And so, if you've been given this new life, the one who has this life bears the imprint of his holiness. It has to be this way. It must be this way. And so the Sermon on the Mount shows us in a fundamental and primary way that righteousness always flows from someone who has truly repented of his sins and truly put his faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, let's read our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I usually preach from the New American Standard, but this morning I'll be reading from the New King James because I think that they, they did a, a better job in translating this text. And so Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, this is the word of Jesus Christ. It says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I already mentioned the broader context of this passage, this theme of righteousness, but the first thing that we have to deal with when we come to this verse is the therefore, right? We have to figure out why the therefore is therefore, right? And so the easiest way, and I think a lot of, a lot of times uh, commentators usually lump that and say, that therefore is there, and it's referring to everything that's come before, chapter 5, 6, and 7, up to this point. But I believe that verse 12 has a more immediate context to just chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Because Jesus has already dealt with, uh, with your own spiritual life in chapter 5 and how your relationship with God is and how it exists in chapter 6. And now, in chapter 7, he's been emphasizing this importance of our earthly relationships as part of the righteousness that flows from true saving faith. Alright, so verse 12, you can mark it in your Bible. Verse 12 is all about your earthly relationships. Jesus has been teaching and he'll continue to teach us in the coming verses that God's coming judgment of our lives will be based in large part on how we deal with other people. See, God has dealt graciously with us and he holds us accountable to deal graciously with other people. And so if you understand that, so if you understand that you were under the judgment of God, that you were under the wrath of God, that you were on a path leading to eternal hell, and that the God of the universe and all of his righteous holiness and all of his righteous wrath against our sins, he reached down to you and he had mercy on you in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your heart, if it is changed, should melt in such a way that says, having received this grace from you, God, and I want to extend it to others. That's the idea. Jesus says you are accountable to that. So any, way, any other way that you approach your relationships in this life, other than with grace, is to abuse that grace and to spit in its face. Listen, if we receive grace, we must give grace. 
If we have been forgiven, then you must forgive. That's just spirituality 101. That's the basics. So before we get further into this verse, I do just want to deal with one particular side note. And it's a side note to help us understand what Jesus is, uh, is talking about and how pervasive this actually is to your life this morning. Right? Every single moment this verse applies to. Every single relationship this verse applies to. Many commentators have also noted that uh, a bunch of world religions, other non-Christian religions, they all have their own form of this golden rule. But invariably, these religions, even going back to the time of Christ or even prior to the time of Christ, they state this rule in the negative. They state this rule in the negative form, right? They say, uh, do not do to others what you would not have them do to you, right? You don't want to be slapped in the face? Well, don't slap anyone in the face, uh, right? So, but the negative form of this, you know, don't, don't do unto others, the only thing that teaches you is to refrain from bad behavior, right? If you don't like being robbed, then don't rob. If you don't like being gossiped about, don't gossip. But I want you to realize, I want you to think about this morning that in, in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it's something different. It's something much more searching. What Jesus teaches goes way deeper and much farther. Jesus teaches us this morning that to follow this golden rule, it requires a positive action. You have to do something to be obedient to this. The positive form of this rule then is much more thorough than its negative counterpart, right? Think about it. You could fulfill the negative version simply by drawing this selfish circle around yourself and have nothing else to do uh, with the world, right? You isolate yourself from the world and you can keep the negative form of the golden rule. You could go live in a cave and fulfill that uh, negative golden rule. But it doesn't fly with Jesus, right? He's, He's talking about something different. And so that shouldn't fly with us either, being disciples of Christ, Right? Jesus imposes a positive obligation on his disciples. Okay, so understanding these obligations is our task for the morning. Jesus says, do unto others, and this requires a positive action from us. And so with that as our introduction for this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you four aspects of the golden rule that will help you to conform your life to what Jesus requires. Four aspects of the golden rule that will help you conform your life to what Jesus requires of you. These are four dimensions of the golden rule that maybe you've never seen before. You've never quite seen it in this light. And it's going to help you to obey what Jesus requires of you. All right? I think that all should be in, the, in your notes on, in, the, in the bulletin that was handed out. So the first aspect, first aspect of the golden rule is its broad application. It's broad application. Look again at verse 2, or 12, sorry. Jesus says, whatever you want men to do, whatever. Okay, we're not going to get that far. We have to stop and see whatever. That's where we're going to focus our attention, just on that one word. In the New American Standard, it says, in everything. Now, this statement is really emphatic in the original language. Literally, in the Greek, had this idea of all things whatsoever. And it's exceedingly broad. There's no limitation uh, to what Jesus uh, is saying here. 
Jesus in this passage uses multiple Greek words to express this idea that he's talking about everything pertaining to relationships. Now he could have just used one word and that would have suited the purpose just fine. But he combines words and gives us this broad and general without limiting principle. And the emphasis, it really has impact as we continue in our study. And the emphasis is even greater because in the original language, he puts this word at the beginning of the sentence of verse 12. So whatever you want men to do, that's the emphasis of this sentence that Jesus speaks. So I get our first point, or the broadness of the golden rule is based solely on sentence structure, really. And in effect, Jesus is saying everything And I do mean everything. I mean absolutely everything about your human relationships is governed by what I'm going to say next. That's the idea. There's tremendous emphasis on all things. And so right away, it's amazing. Jesus, he takes away our sinful inclination to to try to qualify what he's going to say next. You know, I don't really think he meant uh, meant it here, and that's it. You know, it doesn't apply to this bad situation over here. So we can't narrow it down to something that just fits our own liking. No, Jesus says everything, whatever. And so it's important to know that emphasis in the verse because it's going to affect the command to come. And when Jesus structures it this way, whatever you want men to do, he's telling you, think about your life. Think about your life before you deal with the command that I'm going to give you. And so, before he does command that, and believe me, he he does and he will command you this morning. He puts every human relationship in your life on the table without limitation. Good relationships, bad relationships, family relationships, work relationships, friends and acquaintances, strangers on the street, the cashier at McDonald's, church and school relationships, all those relationships and all the circumstances surrounding those relationships, all the circumstances that give those relationships texture. Jesus says, without limitation, whatever you want men to do to you, whatever the circumstances get ready because Jesus is about to meddle in your life. Maybe you should start feeling a little bit nervous. If you think about it, right, we're all living our life in comfort to one degree or another. We all have our own patterns and our way of doing things. And here comes Jesus 2,000 years ago and he's about to poke around in your life. He's about to expose your heart. He's poking around and saying, I have this in mind for you this morning. Listen, church, Jesus is speaking to you today from his word. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate, the living son of God who will judge the living and the dead is speaking to you. And this is what he says. This is what he commands of every single one of us who are under his authority. And it's really, it's, it's inherently his prerogative to speak like this, right? He is deity. And so we must bend our hearts to pay attention to him this morning. Do you see how the broad righteousness, uh, the, how broad the righteousness is that God uh, requires of you? We haven't even got to God's command yet. 
But he is asserting, Jesus is asserting his authority over you this morning in every relationship of your life, every single one of them. It's an amazing and an astonishing assertion of authority. And the Christian's heart ought to be melting before his authority. Jesus has established his authority here to give such a broad application to the golden rule. And the believer then says, yes, Lord, what would you have me do? So that brings us to now to the second aspect of the golden rule. The second aspect of the golden rule is its deep examination. The second aspect of the golden rule requires deep examination. It would be enough if this just dealt with relationships. Where Jesus goes next ought to take your breath away. Look at verse 12 again with me. It says, therefore, whatever you want men to do, do also to them. So what does Jesus do here? As he establishes this golden rule, he says, your own desires set the standard for how you are to interact with others. Your desires is absolutely phenomenal. This could only come from the mind of the divine. And such a simple collection of monosyllabic words to lay something out that is such of eternal consequence and yet so clear can only come from the mind of God. And it's really easy just to, to, to slide over verse 12, right? As you do your devotions, you, you know, the assignment is reading you know, Matthew chapter 6 and 7 as you uh, read in the morning and you just gloss over verse 12 in a second. Maybe thinking, you know, is the coffee done yet? But I want to park it right here on verse 12. Because this is really important. Again, this is for every single one of you here this morning. Whatever you want men to do to you. Whatever you want men to do to you. Keep that in mind. That we're all under the authority of Christ this morning. I just happen to be the mouthpiece of him this morning. I'm not exempt from this. Jesus commands you to treat other people like you yourself want to be treated. And this might cause everything to collapse for some of you because it's going to expose your heart so fully. Jesus is addressing your heart desires. The heart desires that go to your very core of your character. Jesus is serious here. He's preaching for keeps. With what he says here, this isn't some optional advice that you might get on a podcast on your way to work. This is Jesus speaking from the authority of the throne of God. And he says, what you want, now that becomes the standard. This requires deep examination. Deep examination. And I'm going to give you a couple questions to ask yourself. And I'll walk through them just a, uh, slowly so you can maybe jot it down. Because the answers to those questions will then uh, affect the way you apply this verse. With that deep self-examination, it provokes questions like this. What is it that you want in relationships? What is it that pleases you? What do you take pleasure in? What do you find satisfaction in when you interact with other people? What is it that you dislike? What is it that irks you? What is it that upsets you? 
in relationships? What is it that brings out the worst in you? Jesus says, whatever you want men to do to you, also do to them. He takes your deepest heart aspirations, your deepest desires, things like respect and appreciation, thankfulness, gratitude, everything like that. And he brings it up front and center and lays it out for you to see. And he tells you, examine yourself. What is it that you want in a relationship? What is it that you want in the daily circumstances of life? What is it that you want? Take a second. Answer those questions. What do you want in relationships? COC, here's the point. Jesus says that your responsibility before God in every relationship that you have correlates to the answer to that question. Jesus says what you want men to do to you is what you must do to them. Your wishes, your desires, your longings will now set the course for how you can uh, conduct yourself towards other people. Now truth be told... And this won't be breaking news to to many of you this morning. We operate in the exact opposite way of that. Most times. We work that equation backwards. How we deal with others is mostly determined by how they deal with us, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. My response to you will depend on how you interact with me first. And so we have this little boxing match, this little sparring round where we go around and around and you're kind of dancing around and say, hey, you know, how are you going to be dealing with me? And, you know, after I figure that out, that's how I'll act towards you. Beloved, understand that your relationships must be determined by the righteous character that Christ lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. And get this, it is regardless of how other people treat you. How other people treat you is not the standard. It's not even in the mix here of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is just asking one question. What is it that you want? And so your desires and the things that you'd like to receive then becomes the standard by which you are to deal with other people regardless of how they respond. It's not based on external promptings Right? The response and to external actions of other people is just a matter of your personal accountability to God himself. God commands this of you in the privacy of your own heart. And God says it has to be this way. And the way that you respond to this command reflects what you think about God. It reflects what you think about Christ. It reflects what you think about his salvation. Before another person ever gets involved. You see, Jesus again is speaking from his own authority to his disciples. So it's not our prerogative to say, well, Lord, that person's just hard to deal with. He's just a pain in the neck. No. Church, the starting point for really letting this golden rule transform your life is to realize that it's a matter of obedience to God. This is a matter of you rightly responding to the Savior who shed his own blood for your soul. That's the starting point. 
And if you need an ending point, you could say that the ending point is to recognize that he is the one who's going to judge you for how you respond to this command. He's going to hold you accountable. Jesus said, it's the people who act upon my words who are, that are like the house built on the rock. And those who don't listen to my word, it's like the house that's built upon the sand. Do you see what I'm trying to say this morning? There's, there's, there's something more important than your own personal likes and dislikes at stake here, right? Jesus applies this to all of life. And he says, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And most of you understand that concept, right? You, you get what Jesus is talking about in this passage, right? When you give gifts, you try to figure out what the other person uh, would like. And that you give them something that they would like, not something that you would like. And it's not like the, like the boy who gives his mom a baseball glove and says, oh, you didn't want that? I'll take it, right? That's not, that's not how we're figuring out. Even this morning, someone gave Reese a cookie and she knew that, you know, I didn't want a cookie, but she said, here, I got this for you, dad. I'm like, I don't want a cookie. I had breakfast already. You can have it. So she, she like, she's three years old and she gets this concept. <laughs> that the idea of gift giving is to meet the desire of the other person. And Jesus takes that and he applies it to all of life. And he says, if you like to be treated according to your desires, then treat others according to their desires, even if they don't reciprocate. You try to understand the other person. You put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, what would they like in this situation? And then that's what I'm going to do because that's what I would like. What would I like when I'm struggling? When I'm discouraged? When I'm happy? However I would like to be treated in those situations and how I would like other people to deal with me according to what I would like, then you know what? I'm going to do that to them. Guess what? We're all human here. We're, we're all on common ground. But the problem is, we become so self-centered that we just see it from our own perspective and never put ourselves in other people's shoes. Let me say this. Many of you are way more naturally good at this than others. What I mean is most of you find joy in making other people happy, right? And I thank the Lord for that. I've been a recipient of that in your life. And that is great. So excel still more. Press on. And some of us, and I'll include myself here, some of us are more self-centered. And this passage tells us that Jesus is calling us to repent and to change. Because remember, Jesus is speaking with authority. Think about it this way. If you judge it right for you to be treated according to your desires, then you must acknowledge your responsibility to treat others according to their desires. Because if it's good for you, then it's good for the other person. And any other conclusion where you say, you know what, this is what I want, this is what I demand, but I'm not going to give the same thing to you, that is hypocrisy of the highest order. And the Lord, as you read scripture, has a way of dealing with hypocrites. And here's the deal. Jesus says that your desires must inform your conduct in every relationship around you. 
And so it's the deep self-examination with broad application to our relationships. Right? We have to start saying, what is it that the other person would like? How can I conform to that? How can I meet that? That's the idea that we've seen here. And so first we saw the golden rule's broad application. And we've seen the golden rule's deep examination that it requires. And now the third aspect of the golden rule is its long implementation. It's long implementation. Look at verse 12 again with me. Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, and here comes the command, Jesus says, do also to them. Stated in another way, it's like, in like manner, so also you do that. Now, why do I say the golden rule has a long implementation? See, the grammar of this command requires a continuous action. And you can't really see it in the English text, but this command requires continuous action. And here's what it means for you this morning. Jesus says that the golden rule is to be a lifestyle of any one of his disciples. This is to be the character that marks the true follower of Christ. So if you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, if you say, I am a follower of Christ, if you say, I am a born-again believer, well, that has implications on your life. If you're a Christian this morning, Jesus states it emphatically. He says, my disciples, yes, I'm talking to you. This is to be your lifestyle. This, the golden rule, is about your character. This is not just a one-time thing that you can do once and then move on with your life. This is what you are to be like on a consistent basis, where you approach your relationships with an others-centered mindedness. One writer puts it this way. We must be careful to do and not to do all the things which we have found to be pleasing or displeasing to ourselves. You do not like unkind things said about you. Well, do not say them about others. You do not like difficult people. Well, do not let your behavior be such that you become like that to them. Do you see how simple and how obvious this is? Are you guys with me? That ball of yarn in my heart will only be untangled if we can grasp this and we understand this and let Matthew seven twelve change our lives. And I know so many of you here this morning, and I know that never in any of our interactions have you been difficult to deal with. But maybe some of your other relationships you might have been a little bit difficult to deal with. And so the golden rule, the golden rule doesn't allow room for taking pride in them. You say, hey, you know what? I'm just a man who speaks my mind. Well, okay, you're a man who speaks your mind. You're also a pain in the neck. Right? You're also rude and insensitive. And, and if people were like that to you, then you wouldn't like it either, so knock it off. Why? Why do I say that? Because Jesus commands it. Jesus commands it. You implement The golden rule over a lifetime of character development. One relationship at a time. One circumstance at a time. Jesus calls you to this faithful persistence to fulfill this command. A faithful persistence in growing in the kind of righteousness that he calls us to here. So the question that 
you might be thinking even now, like what about the people that are just really hard to deal with? What about the people that have been mean to me? What about the people that have abused me and harassed me and harmed me in the past? Maybe there's going to be a day where we can take a whole service and and deal with that question. But I'm going to give you the quick answer here this morning. It's a quick answer, but no less true. Church, you cannot pick and choose who you apply this command to. You can't follow the golden rule with those who treat you well and then ignore it for those who treat you poorly. The same Jesus who gives us this golden rule says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. So it's not about what you've received in the past. It's what, it, it's what you give out in in your own character, in response to what God has done in Christ. In COC, when we see it, when we see the golden rule from that perspective, it's humbling, isn't it? Some of you this morning will have to admit that you demand and expect more from relationships than you are willing to give yourself. You can be harshly critical of people for their failings, But your feelings will get bruised and get injured if just someone approaches you about a small matter in your life. Guys, it does not work that way in the Christian life. And I would venture to say that there are many of us in this room this morning who would just need to melt in repentance before God and say, God, you have exposed my sinful heart in such a profound way. I don't even know what to say except God, forgive me. Please, God, change me. Because what you say here in the golden rule is right. There's no argument about the validity of what Jesus is saying here. If you think it's right for you to get what you want, but there's a gap between what the other person wants and the way you act towards them, then that gap is sin. I don't, even, I don't know how else to say it but that. Jesus, through his word, calls you to deep repentance today. I have to wrap up here, but what we've seen in this golden rule is its broad application. With its deep self-examination, with a lifelong implementation for every single one of our relationships. And we have one point left for this morning. The fourth and final aspect of the golden rule is its high authorization. It's high authorization. This command is full of authority. I've said it before and Jesus puts an exclamation point on it now. Jesus in verse 12 says, whatever you want men to do uh, to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. And so in some manner, This is a summary of 1,500 years of God-inspired revelation to his people up until this point where Jesus says this. And Jesus, the Son of God, is connecting what he just said with everything that has come before him, right? All of which he inspired. And so this, again, speaks with authority from God. And Jesus is emphasizing here that this golden rule in Matthew 7, 12 is even all of the Old Testament is based on this principle. Now an aside that might 
cause or throw some of you off is to understand that Jesus, he's not reducing the entirety of the Old Testament to a manual on human relationships. Right, the Old Testament, for example, right, commands the exclusive uh, worship of one true God. Right? It, it recites the history and the, the God's dealings with the nation of Israel. And it promises the suffering of Christ and, and, and looks forward to the second coming of Christ where he'll, he'll uh, sit upon his throne and establish his kingdom here on earth. Right, so Matthew 7.12 doesn't speak to those things. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is not saying that the golden rule comprehensively exhausts all of divine revelation in the Old Testament. And so you don't need to worry about Genesis through Malachi. No, that's not his point. Rather, the idea here is the the Old Testament uh, teachings on human relationships has this unifying thread found in this golden rule. And I'm going to show it to you. I'll use the Ten Commandments. We'll do this quickly. The Ten Commandments, you're familiar with them, or at least I hope you are. In Exodus chapter 20, Jesus gives the Ten Commandments, and you know them. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your brother's house. Follow me, because this is going to help you understand what Jesus is saying here. If you simply just followed the golden rule, you would fulfill every one of those commands. Right, since there's not one of you in here that would like to be on the receiving end of murder or adultery or theft or dishonesty or greedy, covetous people, you recoil from all of that. And so the golden rule says, you're right. That's not what you want. Therefore, don't do it. And that unifying thread of dealing with other people in accordance with their desires becomes the unifying principle found in the golden rule. And that's why Jesus can say then, this is the law and the prophets. This is all that the law and prophets were trying to say. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Sinclair Ferguson said something helpful here. For Jesus, he writes, the word of God is not an impossible complex of rules and regulations placed on men's shoulders as a heavy burden. Rather, It is the outworking of the principle of love. Grasp this and everything else will fall into place. That's a great statement. And so as we conclude, we've seen this morning that the golden rule has a broad application. It requires a deep self-examination. It has long-lasting implementation and it has high authorization. And so considering everything that we've said this morning, surely the Holy Spirit has been at work in our hearts, convicting us where we have fallen short. And hopefully to one degree or another, we need all repent of our self-centered approach to life and relationships. Beloved, let us confess our sins to God and to one another so that Christ may cleanse us through his blood. And at the same time, What I want you to see in the golden rule is that Christ calls you to higher spiritual ground. Jesus commands this to his disciples in such a way that he tells us that growing toward the attainment of that goal is within grasp with the Holy Spirit's help. We can change. We can be like this. Sinclair Ferguson concludes, he says, The Christian life is indeed demanding. 
But in essence, its principle is simple. It is knowing the grace of God working so powerfully in your heart that you are freed from the mastery of sin and self over your life. You can now serve others and bring blessing to them as the Lord has brought blessing to you. This is the kind of clear-sightedness that arises from living in the light of the judgment of God, your Father. So may God so transform our hearts this morning that we would consistently do to others what we would have them do to us. Let's pray. Our Father, it's hard to imagine that in one verse... This single passage that it would so thoroughly sift us in every area of our life. We thank you, God, for the divine wisdom of Christ that's expressed in these words. And we thank you, Father, for the rightness of it. It is not right to be selfish and self-centered when we don't want to extend that same courtesy to others. And so, Father, we are convicted by what Jesus has said here. Our natural inclinations of the heart don't lead us in this direction. We like to receive. We're so slow on the giving, especially to those who have harmed us. So, Father, we see the breadth of what Jesus has said and we aspire after it now. Your words are sweet and pleasant and good and right. And all happiness and spiritual bliss would be to find our lives in increasingly increasing conformity to what Jesus has said here. So God, in this hour, let our light shine before men so that they would see our good works and glorify you, our Father, who is in heaven. Oh God, change us. God, forgive us. God, transform us into the likeness of what Jesus described here in Matthew 7, 12. Oh Lord, we love you. We thank you for the death and resurrection which we remembered this morning and we look forward to your return. And so we invite those who do not know you that are present with us this morning to repent, put their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins. Father, work that work this morning. God, we pray all these things in your name.